This is The Guardian. Hey Guardian Women's Football Weekly fans, it's Faye here. We are still trying to have a well-earned break, but wanted to bring you an episode from our older sibling, Football Weekly, which came out yesterday. In it, Susie Rack and a few other big hitters from the world of women's football discussed the Women's World Cup and, of course, all the fallout over the past few weeks. If you like what you hear, make sure you subscribe to Football Weekly wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, we'll be back in the next few weeks' time as we look ahead to the start of the WSL season. Women's Football Weekly is supported by Google Pixel, the only phone engineered by Google and proud partner of the England teams. Search Google Store to find out more. Hello and welcome to The Guardian Football Weekly. When we planned this pod, we wanted to look back on the Women's World Cup, on the games, the moments, the genius of Bon Mati, that Sam Kerr goal, Mary Earps swearing, the upsets, the improvements of the smaller nations without, of course, sugarcoating the difficult bits. And then along came Luis Rubiales. You probably didn't know a lot about him before the final. And then came the abuse of power, the unwarranted kiss, the denials, the fabricated statements, the refusal to resign in front of a fawning audience, silence from UEFA and a mother in a church on hunger strike. Equal parts depressing and extraordinary. What does this story tell us about misogyny in the game and in the quest for equality? Is it right to draw big conclusions from the actions of one man and one federation? It feels so at a time when... The man with four daughters who runs football is telling women just to pick your battles and choose the right doors to push. And how do you reach those yelling, not all men, it was only a kiss, that's just the Latin way. What about the jockey? You're ruining a man's career because of your agenda in the replies. This is The Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, uh, uh, fresh from being at the World Cup out in Australia, Salon Andy Hickman, hello. Hello. Fresh from uh, commentating on the fine of Robin Cowan. Hello. Barely, yes. <laughs> Thank you, Max. <laughs> Fresh from working, being on every single TV screen on earth, Semra Hunter. Uh, <laughs> how, uh, hello again. Hello. <laughs> Promised a week off after the World Cup and has had to file about 10 articles and is now in a field somewhere near Southampton camping, but is forced to do more work. Hey, Susie Rack. Yeah, I've just left the uh, the family, locked myself in the car and told them I'm on hunger strike while they eat pancakes. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Uh, well, we'll get to that bit, sort of mad bit of the story. I've got a timeline. Um, obviously, everyone knows the story is what's happened in the story, but I just thought it'd be worth briefly going through the events and, and anybody stop me if I've got this in the wrong order. But okay, so the World Cup final happens during the ceremony. Jenny Hermoso, the Spain forward, is embraced and kissed on the lips by Luis Rubiales. Hermoso later reacts to the kiss during a live stream saying she didn't enjoy it. The following day, initially Rubiales dismissed complaints about it. The Federation released a statement from Hermoso saying it was a totally spontaneous mutual gesture because of the immense joy that winning a World Cup brings. Then a bit later that day, Rubiales says he's sorry for those who were offended. One of those apologies um, after being fiercely criticised by footballers, the media, the Spanish Prime Minister... A couple of days later, FIFA opens disciplinary proceedings um, to examine Rubiales' actions. Then on the 25th of August, there's this extraordinary press conference where Rubiales is expected to resign, but he doesn't, and he calls the kiss consensual. Later that day, the Spanish government says it's beginning legal proceedings seeking to suspend Rubiales. The Spanish Secretary of Sport says he wants this to be Spanish football's Me Too moment. 
Hermoso then releases a statement saying that at no time was his kiss ever consensual. And 81 Spanish players, including all 23 players who went to the Women's World Cup, announced they will not play for Spain's women's team until Rubiales is removed. The following day, the Spanish Football Federation hits back, saying it will take legal action over, quote, each falsehood that is spread. FIFA then announced it's provisionally suspending Rubiales for 90 days. Then, George Vilda, the women's coach, criticises Rubiales, took him a few days, uh, while his entire coaching staff resigns in protest against the Federation president. On the 27th, which is two days ago, the Federation's Delegate for Sexual Violence Protocol confirms an internal investigation into events is underway. And yesterday, the Spanish Football Federation, so this is Rubiales, asked UEFA to suspend it, the Federation, from international competitions. So like the Champions League, I think, because of government interference over demands to remove him. Then his mum, as Susie has alluded to, goes on hunger strike in a church in his hometown of Montreal. Then Spanish prosecutors open preliminary investigation to see if the incident amounts to a criminal of sexual assault. And yesterday, the regional presidents of the Spanish Football Association have requested the immediate resignation of Luis Rubiales. Their statement said, After the latest events and the unacceptable behaviours that have seriously damaged the image of Spanish football, the presidents request Mr. Luis Rubiales immediately present his resignation as president of the RFEF. Um, Where do we even begin? Uh, Semra... Bravo, Max, because that is not an easy summary <laughs> to make, let me tell you. That was pretty nailed on, so well done to you. But there's a lot of nuances to, to the things that you've that you've highlighted there, a lot. Yeah, of, of course. And I probably should thank the BBC Sport website <laughs> as well for a little bit of help with, with, with some of that. So, you know, I, I, will, I will credit my sources. Semra, how has it been in Spain this last week? Oh, wow. It's been really fascinating to watch how society here has responded to this, how they've reacted to this, because it's it's happened in a way in which I've never seen before in Spain. You know, I've been here for 15 years and, and I've never seen such a one-sided response to such a delicate issue. And the sense is that this kiss, obviously, at least, it's, it's very common knowledge here in Spain. It's very public knowledge here in Spain that there is much more layers to all of this, very deep, dark, sordid layers to all of this. But there is this general consensus that the, the kiss in and of itself was the straw that broke the camel's back, that it was there in front of the whole world for everyone to see another example of this pattern of behavior that has been within rife within the federation for a very long time of of misogynistic sexist abuse um that is systemic within the federation that these women have been talking about for a very long time so it sparks this outrage this anger this the shame and embarrassment on a national level and people felt as though right enough is enough like this has been going on for far too long not just in football but in wider society as well and that's why the two worlds have kind of converged on this, why it has spilled over into this, what they're now calling a Me Too moment, and why there's so much debate across the board from people in the streets, people protesting, to people on social media, to the Spanish media itself, whether it's on television, radio, uh, or, or written press, to the government, to people within football. Everyone is now having this healthy debate around sexism and misogyny within Spanish society and culture. Because it has always been an issue. It's just never really been properly looked at or treated 
because no one, quite frankly, really cared enough to do much about it. But now, because this is such an unavoidable issue, because the whole world is looking at Spain in disgust, for the most part, I mean, obviously, there are people who have seen nothing wrong with all of this. Spain does feel as though the reputation of the country is very much on the line here. Uh, not to mention the political aspects as it relates to the 2030 World Cup bid. So people are taking this incredibly seriously. They have massively been in, in Jenny's corner throughout this entire episode. They are so disgraced and ashamed by the constant behavior of the Federation the whole way through this. And not just the Federation, Rubiales himself, because there have been some pretty horrible details that have come to light in the last week about uh, Rubiales' apology, for example, or the statement that you mentioned that Jenny supposedly put out, which as it turns out, to, according to reports here, and even Jenny herself, she never actually wrote any of that. I'm sorry, I know this is quite a long answer, but it's... No, no, fine. <laughs> it's just, there's so much that has been packed in in these last nine days because it has been such an intense moment. But people are really treating this now as a transformative moment for society and culture and, and really hoping that we continue the momentum to really bring about positive change in society and in football. I just wonder from the rest of the panel how this sort of mad week has made you feel, not necessarily professionally, just, you know, as as women who love football and seeing this completely take over the news from what would have been, we just had a great World Cup, Robin. It's made me feel really fucking angry. Really angry. And also so desperately sad for those Spanish players. Because basically, I'm hoping in a few years' time that you know, they will be able to kind of look back and remember the kind of moment they lifted the trophy and the moment they scored the goal and and things like that. But basically, for everyone else, that's forgotten. This is all they're going to remember. Um, and it and it's awful to say, but it's like maybe this is, you know, hopefully this will turn out to be a good thing um, because if they hadn't won, this wouldn't have been exposed. But again, this... A lot of other female footballers and other other fe- prominent female people have said we shouldn't have to win to be heard, and unfortunately, this is what happens. This is this is kind of the only way that women can be heard is that you you have a measure of success, and then and then you kind of start demanding things or you get assaulted in public and then you get gaslighted. I mean, it's just honestly, and I just don't, don't want to say Semra. You have been doing the Lord's work. I've seen you. Uh, honestly, I don't know if you have slept even. You're on every, everywhere, kind of <laughs> spreading the word. You've done just so respect to you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I was going to say uh, all of those things in the, yeah, very angry. Also, just so utterly unsurprised, right? Like, like I mean, we, we know this happens all the time, every day, in pretty much every workplace, um, and every facet of society, because football mirrors society, it's not you know, removed from it. But I'm also slightly delighted because my big fear with Spain winning the World Cup was that this would be a moment for the Federation and uh, Jorge Vilda to really double down and assert their authority over the 15 players that signed the letter last year. And, you know, they never play for Spain again. They really feel, like, assured in their power. And I really thought they were going to use it as an opportunity to to consolidate everything that we're now seeing is utterly 
disgustingly corrupt and instead and they, they could have still done that even with the kiss right like if ruby arles had just come out straight away and said i made a terrible mistake this was outrageous i shouldn't have done this i apologize profusely to jenny um we will have an internal investigation um and you know i you know it's appalling i'm gonna go on awareness training you know he could have done all of that and probably would have been able to brush it under the carpet to a certain extent but but instead he decided to set fire to his house and there is there's something quite incredible about watching someone who who is clearly you know so deeply ingrained with misogyny and sexism trying to dig themselves out of a hole and just making it worse and worse and worse but in the process exposing the machismo of Spanish society in general, the systematic, um, and not just in Spanish society, it's just like particularly acute maybe at this moment in time there, but like everywhere. And that's really satisfying, you know, something that it was as simple as a, a kiss that, you know, maybe in, in other scenarios, other times would be like a slap on the wrist thing has exposed so much more than that. And so I'm like, I'm like actually quite happy that it's doing that and it's we've covered them on this podcast before like Afghanistan Argentina Colombia you know Zambia the the list of countries that have had abuse in sports cases harassment sexual abuse whatever it may be like is really really long I think when me and Ed Ahrens were doing a list uh, to be published we reached 35 or 6 we could only actually publish the details of 16 to see it like provoke a bit of a reckoning is satisfying at the same time as like the anger and like sadness for you know the fact that any woman has to go through this to be able to have a reckoning very briefly i just want to back what you were saying there because the feeling in spain is that this is karmic justice that this has had to happen for a very long time and i think it's important to understand the wider context of who this man is and his past which we can come to we don't have to talk about it now but we very much have been sitting on mount vesuvius for a long time, the tensions have been boiling, they've been brewing underneath the surface. And now you're absolutely right. They have just exploded everywhere in a way that I think no one really saw coming. So it's it's so much deeper than just a case. I'm sorry, it just drives me nuts when people say, what's the bigger, it's a case. It's not, it really isn't. And for so many different reasons. Yeah, I feel really similar, I think, to Susie. I think, and I think it's really important to say they shouldn't have to win for this to for this to have come to light but they did warn us and they they warned us a long time ago by trying to rally together as a team and use their player power and do what they had at their just use the power they had at their disposal at the time by writing the letter 15 of them going on strike to say we're not happy with the conditions in which we're playing football in they did warn us and unfortunately it has taken them to go against the odds win a tournament do that largely themselves and then this a, a horrible act of abuse to happen in the workplace so publicly on a stage and that is the really sad bit in, in, in what Robin was saying that this is clouded for those players and the players families and the fans and all the people who just wanted who just wanted they didn't ask for much but they just wanted to be athletes win a competition and be able to enjoy that victory now they they can just be athletes and women women should have the privilege of just being an athlete and not having to stand for something more that that we have to start there I do feel an immense sort of pride and fire of a full women's football in the women's football community because without that community and without 
what we saw happening and people holding people like Semra holding holding these people to account, we don't get this result. We don't get this attempt at justice. And I think that is a beautiful thing about women's football as a whole is that if you see something you'll call out and there was always going to be forms of injustice in the world. And I think there's a beautiful thing that women's football can be a space that does hold itself to standards of social justice and use its power and its platform as far as it can to deliver those things. And I think where else do you get those feelings? I don't get them in politics. I don't get them in in the street that I live in. I don't get this sense of kind of solidarity, a collectivism, a, a kind of people power that you can overcome systems of abuse and, and systems of power. And the fact that we are seeing it topple like in front of our eyes because these women have stood up for something and they've continued to fight for something and, and the whole community around them has also put that pressure on. That is a beautiful thing because otherwise we don't, we don't get to justice without that. So whilst I feel an anger and a sadness for the individual players, for the fans and the families, I do also feel that kind of pride and, and sort of fire to, to keep going and to keep saying well, well this is our game right we're going to solve this we're not going to solve misogyny in Spain we're not going to solve misogyny in institutions in football but let's start here let's chip away at it and then let's go to the next thing what's the and that's where I think about Zambia and I think about um, Jamaica and I think about these other fe- teams who've had these problems with their federations and they're probably sitting there thinking well we're never going to win a world cup so when's our wh- when's the world going to turn for us when's the world going to help us and i think that's the anger that we need to take from this situation whenever it gets resolved and go to those next federations and say right well let's start solving it there as well getting rid of luis rubiales i'm assuming he will go at some point although perversely i've really enjoyed him doubling down quadrupling <laughs> down i'm almost if he does resign i'd be a bit sad actually because i want to see what he does well if I, you know what i don't think he will so <laughs> no, i want to see your wish. <laughs> this is going to turn into like oj simpson car chase isn't it i mean knowing this podcast robin he will have gone <laughs> after recording and before this podcast is out you your know. voice notes will be there <laughs> yeah. he's a special case i've got to say but this is the, the point is he goes there's got to be more because it's not just him, as we see. Like, well, that's what that's what I wanted to ask, Robin. Or I mean, Sam is probably the right person. Is is you know there are these people, you know, Jorge Vilda, who applauded along with the Spanish men's manager. There were you know lots of people applauding in that room who suddenly sort of seen which way the wind's blowing. Going, actually, do you know what? I've, I've really had to think about this. And actually, do you know what? I don't think it was all right. I might have done last Sunday, but I've really had a bit of time to think about this. And you sort of think, well, well, I don't know. Do you think? Well, it's good they finally come around, or you know, fuck you. Like it was. It's so obvious. I have to say, I think it's a load of bullshit. His statement, as well as Luis de la Fuente, they both put out statements at similar times after that uh, assembly. And it was very similar in nature in that, um, oh, yes, you know, improper behavior by Rubiales. Um, We stand by, you know, victims of sexual abuse and we don't condone that kind of behavior, blah, 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 blah. Uh, For a bit of context, uh, Jorge Vilda's statement said, amongst other things, there is no doubt that it is unacceptable and does not reflect at all the principles and values that I defend in my life, in sport in general, and in football in particular. I condemn without doubt any macho attitude, uh, which should be far from an advanced and developed society. A clearly undesirable climate has been generated far from what should have been a great celebration of Spanish sport and women's sport. There's no mention of Gianni Hermoso. There's no support for Gianni Hermoso. There's no support for any of his players. Oh, I didn't resign either. I'm still going to stay in the Federation, even though I don't have a coaching staff. 
oh yeah, Rubiales also announced publicly he's going to pay me uh, half a million a year and give me a four-year contract. He also made me basically untouchable within the Federation because he chose me instead of the 15 women when all of this went down. The whole way through the World Cup, if you listen to his press conferences, Rubiales, it's always this mentality of us versus them. It's like, we're defeating those women who didn't want to be here and you know we are the shit and we're the men and it's this kind of toxic masculinity in the way that they were approaching this whole thing rather than focusing on the women that were actually doing really well at the tournament and that also kind of blended into the whole crotch grabbing incident on on the stands as well so i personally think that those statements are just a load of rubbish i think they felt the pressure that they had to say something but it was a very watered down version of criticism compared to literally everybody else who has been adamantly and actively calling for both of them as well as everyone else in the Federation to go. Although, Susie, UEFA have, as far as I know, said nothing, right? Which is extraordinary. He's a UEFA vice president. He's also on various committees. He's the either the president or the vice president of committee that's in charge of women's competitions in Europe. So the Women's Champions League and things like he is very senior on that committee. The idea that he can exist in that body in any way is surreal. And I mean, it shows like it exposes all the power dynamics, right? Doesn't it? Like expose, like obviously in Spain, in the Federation, it's all completely exposed. You know, how protected Jorge Vild has been. Even just the fact that someone in that building is willing to post those insane statements on the website like if that was me i like that that is my red line i'm walking out the door and not posting that online right it, like there's no way i would work for an organization would do that and it shows like how absolute the power control within that organization is how rotten it is they're all singing from the same hymn sheet they they, they put people in power that think the same way as them because it protects them and then you see it in europe as well clearly he's gotta be like best buds with uh Seferan. like how could he not be like how can how can it be so silent without without that being the case without there being some kind of like what does he know both in spain and in europe what does uh rubiales know <laughs> that's the big question but the, also the, the thing that really like is brought forward to me in the whole thing is like why can't we get rid of these people why is there no democracy here why is there no like why, why is there no way of getting rid of Rubiales without FIFA suspending him from football activity and the government intervening? Why is it not the case that there is a like a democratically elected board within the federation that can remove their president and that can elect someone new and uh, is a representative? But why isn't every single federation set up like that where it's that easy to bring someone in and remove them? It's because there's so much money involved, isn't it? But like it's yeah. Uh, frustrating that they're able to just get this stranglehold on power like they can and then basically do whatever the hell they want with it and we still can't get rid of them yeah it reminds me of um cat craig susie and i's friend and the human rights lawyer who uh, evacuated the afghanistan women women's national team what she says which is that sport um pulled off the biggest trick in the world when it convinced the world that it should govern itself and i think this is that in action right and these these systems that have often they have been designed well they are designed by the men who are benefiting from them almost exclusively from women I, like i don't think these systems and these institutions have had women in power and leadership when they were started because often we weren't you know 
allowed in football at these points, definitely in a UK context. And then they have built systems that allow them to keep benefiting from the power that they have in those systems. They genuinely feel untouchable, as in that's how they move through the world. They're like, I cannot be touched. I can do anything because my mate is here and he will protect me and my friend is here. And actually, I wrote the rules for this system. So, you know, my rules go. And you see that through grabbing of the crotch. You see that through the kiss. You see that through... Uh, all of the responses afterwards that they feel so safe and so protected by the system that they have built and then we know that that happens but then what we're, what we're doing in the evolution of the women's game is is assuming that women's football slots into these systems and should benefit from these systems and should be governed by these systems and we're hoping that by putting a few women at different points throughout that system that it, everything will be okay and that we will govern correctly and we will be able to ensure that women are protected in them but it is it is basic ordinary lord the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house we cannot rely on the same systems that create systems of oppression abuse have these men protected at the top of them to then benefit women athletes i just i cannot see a, a world in where you know the spanish federation suddenly turns around and, and invests in women's football and protects women athletes. He, The president stood up in his speech and equated this movement to false feminism. He was clapped by the women's national team manager and the men's national team manager on the front row. He called it false feminism. Like, you, we can't go any further. Like, where? how do you come back from that? I really, I don't know. And I have no faith in these institutions. You have to build different ones or you have to completely tear them down and start again. Just just on that, I, I can't verify this, but I saw a tweet saying in the Spanish Football Federation, it has 140 members and six of them are women. And yeah, so, and I think that's probably, I can't imagine it's very different anywhere else, especially in football. And And this is the problem. This is this is the problem, and I don't know if like a Rudy rule is 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 the answer, but something. This is it. This this is the problem. You know, Barry kept kept saying, you know, this all this is all part of the same thing. When you were talking about Mason Greenwood, you were talking about p- having people in football clubs like Lucy Ward, where you have women female role models, because a lot of the you know a lot of them just have their mum. Or maybe not even that. And it's just the way they interact with women and, and things like that. So it's just, that's just, I just think that's an illustration. 140 members, six are women. And there you go. All right, that'll do for part one. We'll carry on this chat in part two. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. I'm trying to broaden it out a bit. And, and I wonder, like you don't, bring people with you by yelling at them, right? I did a thing on TalkSport about misogyny in football. And I just said, you have to call it out, right? You have to call it out in WhatsApp groups, you know, on the training, wherever you are, right? And that can sometimes be difficult because it's much easier just to ignore it because people don't like confrontation, but you have to, you have to do it. And I got a lot of replies saying, you know, what about the jockey there was a horse race where a uh, female owner kissed a male jockey on the lips there was i think semi you probably have seen it a female contestant on spanish master chef kissing a judge who said oh it was uncomfortable and he was told to grow a pair and enjoy it and i just and i had so many replies like like this like it's it sort of it's why i took time off twitter right it's depressing but i and it's, it's so obvious to me how it is different, right? The power dynamic of, you know, men having power over women for years and you know, centuries, thousands of years, whatever. 
like it seems obvious to me but how how do we do we give up on those people how do we how do we bring them along because yelling at them doesn't work patronizing them doesn't work i i don't know i don't know if anyone has an answer because i suspect all of you in your careers have seen this because i won't have seen it right when i'm trying to get anywhere i just won't it won't happen to me but i don't know if anyone has any idea or if that makes any sense i mean i i hope that cases like this help expose that it's not just that one moment right like that it is so much deeper that there is so much more there that it's so much broader and so much underlying it and that it's because if you take it as an isolated incident one person kissed another person they weren't that happy with it they've loosely apologized like in like complete and utter isolation i mean it's still wrong but you know you can like sort of say well okay not that big a deal but that's if you literally remove it from every single thing we know about society and what it does to women but also just power dynamics in general in football as well like are horrific and i think that's why it becomes a little bit a breeding ground is the wrong word like particularly useful for abusers because it's very easy to get into it's very unregulated and there's uh yeah there's so little control over what a coach is doing in a, in a kids game let alone in a in an adults game and a t- like you know a amateur football or senior level you know if it can go on at senior level think of what's going on all the way through the system right like so i hope that this kind of thing blowing up the way it has and like people drawing the broader points help people who think oh but it's just a kiss it happened on MasterChef or whatever see that it's more than that like i hope that that ex- that kind of level of of exposure of the system helps people who are more genuine like because obviously you get the trolls who are literally just wind up merchants and you get misogynists who actually genuinely don't give a crap but then there are people who genuinely are just like oh well is it that bad I, i i really hope that the way it's like shown all of the problems within spanish society generally like opens their eyes to why it's more than just a kiss that's that is my hope i think you have to one, you have to decide where your energy is best spent and whose energy is best spent where in this. And I think that's where you have to go where these people are at and what their influences are. And if you can infiltrate those influences, then you will, you're more likely to for them to listen. And I think that's where allyship is really, really important. So, Max, every time you speak about misogyny on TalkSport, on this podcast or wherever you have a platform – it is so much more powerful than me tweeting about misogyny or me talking about on this thing because we speak to very different audiences. You are much more likely to convince a, a spread of society that I never will have a sort of mouthpiece to really or see me as too different from them. So wouldn't don't relate. Right. So that's where allyship is really, really important. Whatever platform you have, being able to shine a light on this so that those people who are in that grey area who think, oh, I, you know, I've seen that kiss as one thing and actually now I'm learning it's another thing, they will start to see that their initial viewpoint was in is beginning to become in the in the minority and that's not a fun place to be for these people they don't want to be in the, they don't want to be ostracized and they don't want to be marginalized which is often the reverse of the power dynamic usually right where the people calling it out are the people who are ostracized and marginalized if you can flip that balance where the people saying it's okay start to feel marginalized they will come but that's where the allyship is even more important from male 
footballers, male professional footballers, which has been amazing to see that, you know, the handful that have come out and probably the ones that, you know, um, Hector Bellerin obviously was one of my favourite things that he said, but where the rest is pretty silent. Where Where's everyone else? Where's the same energy that you bring for Mendy when something like this happens? And that's where we have to keep holding these players to account because if they say something and they tweet something and they put something on their Instagram stories, millions of young men worldwide will go, whoa, okay, well, if he thinks that, then maybe I should reconsider this. That's what's really, really important here. And that's why it's such a shame we haven't seen enough of that yet. And that's why also in Spain, so many people are calling out these male footballers and saying, where are you? I mean, some are going even to the extreme of saying, well, you're just as complicit then in your silence. The fact that you actually haven't taken a stance and it would be so very easy for you to take a stance in theory, obviously. I mean, they'll have their reasons as to why they're not doing it. But these people feel as though it is so blatantly obvious what is happening here. I mean, just show a little bit of support and solidarity. But by and large, no one has said anything in Spain or even in the wider male football community. So that is certainly something that here locally people have been calling out. And in terms of going back to your question, uh, Max, about how we can try and maybe bring other people to the side, there has been a really interesting shift in Spain in the last week where people who were initially on the side of Rubiales have actually switched allegiances. And they have taken the time to learn why this was so inappropriate to educate themselves or to be educated, to listen. And they have said, actually, you know what? I own up to my mistake. I was wrong. What I thought before was right was actually incorrect. And I think it has to do with the deeply ingrained nature of sexist behavior that is just prevalent within society and culture. I mean, a lot of the times we're just not even aware of it because it's just there and it has existed for so long and because nobody has called out or, or fought against it. But now people are here are really starting to wake up to the realization of, oh, my God, the way I was thinking before was actually totally and utterly incorrect. So it does come down to to education, to wider context. In this case, specifically, the wider context is so incredibly important because you do have to look at this person to kind of determine, well, maybe it was just a one off accident. Yes, he should have apologized, but didn't. So why why didn't he? Well, then let's look into the past here. Let's try and figure out who he is and what he's all about. But that's why you have to look at these things from a lot of different angles. And maybe that's the way that we can try and teach people about these kinds of instances and say, listen, we also need your help and your support. We can't do this alone. And I think that's been the nice thing about Spain in the last week is that so many male colleagues in the media in particular have actually been speaking out against this and have been trying to teach people, hey, you know what, this way of thinking isn't right. I think part of the problem is that you, you like for the male footballers, they are products of the system of men's football, right? Like they have been groomed for into that environment from the ages of like five, six, seven years old. The way they are so valued and uh, like of like as literally as assets, financially valuable assets for clubs makes them feel immortal as well. Like it makes them feel that they can get away with anything. That's why I just think you just got to tear everything down and start again. Like I just don't think football is savable. Um, I don't think you can make men's football better. I, you know, I think FIFA needs to go. Um, I think you'd like, you know, the fact FIFA have been. Um... I can just hear Filippo Claire like applauding, <laughs> like standing ovation as you say this. 
But like FIFA have been talking about a safe sport entity, right? They've been talking about this safe sport entity that they are going to bring in um, that is going to sort of like handle these abuse cases, going to operate independently, blah, 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 survivor led, um, you know, consulting stakeholders, etc. Um, where is it? <laughs> like, where is that body? They are dragging their feet and they are making stakeholders holders including victims very very angry about the fact that this hasn't come in you know they've done all this consultation where is that where is that body where is that body they promised to deal with the ones like haiti and zambia and um uh, afghanistan like where where is it one slice of optimism when we talk about burning it all down and starting again which often can feel like quite figurative and you know we don't actually know what that means in person is that we do have that moment right now in england with with NUCO, which is a new entity being designed, built at the moment, shaped for what will take forward the governance and shape of women's professional football domestically in this country. And that is why we're at such a critical point, why Karen Carney's review was really, really important just before the tournament, because that was setting out, you know, the voices of the sector saying, this is what NUCO needs to look and feel like. And we have an opportunity to shape an institution, not in the same way that the Premier League has been shaped, in a new way that... It, that um, listens to and, and feels like the women's game and protects those interests. So when we say that, when we talk about we need new systems and new institutions, one, we have an opportunity right now. And that's really important that we continue to follow that process closely and hold it to account because it can't just go the same way as the men's game. But secondly, I think it needs to happen on a, on a much broader scale. We cannot rely on institutions like FIFA, UEFA, the Spanish Federation, all these things to protect women and athletes anymore because they've shown time and time again that they just don't. Can we um, briefly talk about Rubiales' mum, which is arguably not the most important, but definitely the funniest <laughs> part of this story. On Monday, uh, the news agency FA reported that she'd shut herself into the Divina Pastora Church in Matril, um, uh, deciding to remain there with her sister, after the parish priest left, uh, uh, she planned to stay indefinitely, day and night, uh, adding that she declared a hunger strike until a solution could be found to what she described as the unwarranted, inhumane and bloodthirsty hunt of her son. To which Carol asks, how soon before she starts eating the candles? And Fraser said, at what time do you think this man, <laughs> this man will come to her senses and say, fuck this for a game of soldiers and demand a giant plate of patatas bravas <laughs> brought to the church that she's barricaded us? Is she still in there, Simra? As far as I know, yes. <laughs> Oh, a psychotherapist, a psychotherapist would have an absolute field day with the oh mother the mother son dynamic. Susie, your your son's a bit older now, but you know, I still go to a lot of play groups with mine and we all know those mums. Their child could do no wrong. And this is what happens. This is definitely an extreme version of that. Because she is repeatedly saying, Oh, my son could never hurt anyone. He would never do something like this. And Jenny, tell the truth, please. And yeah, she's said to be a very, very religious woman. And I guess is is calling to the higher power to to try and um, bring about some justice for her son that she really seems to to think that he deserves. So it's it's really wild. <laughs> Listen to Infantino, right? She's picked she's picked her battle. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but the thing is, a church a, a church door is quite heavy, right? If that's the door you're going to push, right? And that's a tough yeah. one. Apparently, she's a, she's a strong little old lady, I guess. Yeah, I mean, yeah using I'm the power sure. of divine intervention. It's going to make such a good Netflix series, isn't it? When it comes out, this scene, yeah. I, mean, oh, I can already picture man. the church on top of the hill. You know, the woman, yeah. the mother, sort of <laughs> slugging up the hill, getting it. 
you know, all the villagers lining the path. I'm, you know, it's a beautiful <laughs> image. It's almost symbolic of him, you know, going up on the hill and dying on that hill in a way as well. <laughs> yeah, totally. All right, that'll do for part two. We'll talk about the World Cup, which is what we wanted to do in the first place in part three. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Salon, you were out in Australia, as you were, Susie, as you were, Robin. Um, you said before the pod it was the best month of your life, Salon. It was just a beautiful tournament. And I think everything around the World Cup of um, the, the people I shared it with, the places we got to go to, the games we got to watch, like it was amazing. And I think it was made even better by the narratives of this tournament and actually some of the football that was played and the kind of yeah upsetting the conventional power systems in women's football was also a really nice narrative. Um, but yeah, I think Australia and New Zealand put on an excellent tournament and they know how to do live sport out there. Um, it was just, yeah, it was glorious. Yeah, echo that. Although, I mean, Salon clearly had a very different tournament for me. I mean, hers looked like the absolute, just the dream holiday on her Instagram. Just looked like just 100% fun and games, whereas I had my toddler there. So yeah. was... You sent me a photo of soft soft play in North Sydney or whatever. That's, you know, yeah, that isn't a holiday. No, I'm not, not exactly kind of taking in the culture. <laughs> you go to a soft play when you're, when you're out there, but... No, I agree with Salon. Just a br- lovely atmosphere. Everyone was so excited. It was just, it was just an absolute pleasure to be there and just, just to be around. And yeah, and obviously, the football was incredible. And you just got, it was just like story after story after story. And um, I don't really think there was a, a dud game. There was always something to kind of get your teeth into. And um, yeah, fair play. I mean, I don't, you, you know, you've you've been in Australia for quite a while now, Max. I mean, I know it's it's um. It's different kind of, you know, you're just visiting. But it just felt, for me anyway, personally with my family there, like everything worked. There was public transport that worked, like infrastructure, like stuff for kids, you know, changing facilities. Do you know what I mean? Like everything that uh, at the moment we don't really have here in abundance, if you see what I mean. <laughs> mm. Susie, I'm, I'm so bored of asking, is this a tur- not a turning point or like, you know, is this a statement tournament? I feel like, you know, people have said that. And maybe I should just stop asking that question because if you're just repeatedly asking it after every tournament and there was just so much good football to enjoy that perhaps I don't need to ask it. But at the same time, it did feel like that. Yeah, I mean, the fact that it grossed like over half a billion um, dollars, pounds, I don't know, whatever it was that they've said it's grossed. Um, and it's the like the second, like most, it's like, money making uh, my words are going money making tournament like in the world behind the men's world cup like speaks to it reaching a new level right and like the turnouts and the viewing figures were just insane i mean the what was it like six, fifty, sixty million of people something watched the um the uh england china game in china like it, it, just the levels uh are insane um and i think like all that matters like it's all accelerating it's the growth is continuing blah blah, blah. but for me it's i we're obviously harking back to the past bit a bit but it's um been a tournament that has really highlighted all of the struggles in a really important way like that said yes this is all great this is all growing this is all amazing um australia i like was just such a world away from France four years ago where you know it was like a tournament wasn't happening to then this is here we love it we're invested in it as a country the fan park's amazing 
But then you've got all of these issues and all of these teams performing despite these issues. And I just feel like it's just a little bit of a like, come on now, match these women's expectations and talents and demands and like just be better. Because, you know, it's not just like, I I like that it's now not just the... um, the so-called third world countries that are the ones that are having trouble too, you know, like I think that's important because it shows it can happen anywhere and everywhere and, uh, you know, will hopefully help drive change in the others. But like you, yeah, you know, you've got England fighting over bonuses. You've got Spain with all of this going on. You've got the USA still fighting um, to, to, to defend their right to talk about equal pay, even though they don't win. Um, you've got, uh, you know, France obviously have had their various issues, but then you've got the Zambias. Um, you've got the uh, Jamaica's crowdfunding to get there. You've got the South Africa's going on strike before the tournament um, to, you know, like in demand of pay and better conditions and things like that. Like there's all of these issues and yet it was still this incredible tournament. It was so good. Um, the football was brilliant. Like the support was brilliant. It, it was just so excellent um, as an event. And they're doing it all. Imagine what it could be, right? Like imagine how good it could be. And that's like what I keep harking back to is like, I just want people to open. And I think more people will as a result of this tournament because all of these stories were very, very well covered, I feel like on a level that maybe they haven't been before. And I feel like they were connected together more than they have been before. But I, I hope that it 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 means that it's not just accelerated growth, accelerated growth with those still going on. And we actually like, yeah, it has a little bit of a reckoning about what it's all built on as well. It felt like quite a powerful tournament in that regard. It felt like, whereas in the past, when you have issues off pitch in women's football, they've been, they've kind of come from like a deficit place, like not from a place of strength. We're watching these teams who have got, you know, lots of institutional problems happening, being battered and, and falling out of tournaments. Whereas this time, what you had was like negotiating from a place of strength of like, we're going to perform on the pitch and play really, really well. And we're going to get results. And we're going to progress to knockouts and we're going to surprise everyone. But we also are then going to be able to advocate and talk about what's going on off pitch for us. And that, that for me, felt like a bit of a shift in in kind of the women's game, I'd say. Obviously, I was watching it from a distance because I was um, not in Australia, unfortunately, or New Zealand. I would have loved to have been there, but in the end, it didn't happen for me. Um, so I got the other kind of side of the coin in that I got to experience Spain winning in Spain and seeing the reaction to that here locally and I think what was so exciting was to see how the the mentality and the mindset around what they were capable of doing really shifted throughout the course of the tournament I mean we've already highlighted ad nauseum about the whole situation what's going on with the federation and the women's national team but because of the huge fallout in the lead up to this uh, to this tournament people in Spain didn't give them a fighting chance no one thought they were going to do well everyone thought they would crash out in the group stage so initially people thought well, I mean, obviously we'll support them, but maybe we're just not going to watch because we're ashamed of the whole thing and we're, we're so disgraced by the way that the Federation are handling this whole thing. Um, but then as they kind of defiantly stood against everything and as, you know, Salem was just describing there, it was almost this, well, actually, we're going to take a stand and despite all of the bullshit and the shit that's going on in the shadows in the background, we're actually going to come together and prove that we can still win no matter what. And so as they progressed to the tournament, and not just progressed, I mean, 
I think it's fair to say they really were the best team across the entire um, World Cup. They were very consistent. They played some beautiful football, uh, the exception being Japan, of course. Um, and so it really caused a lot of people to sit up and take notice and to start watching games. And we had record-breaking numbers of audiences uh, in the quarterfinals and the semifinals and, of course, the final itself as well. People started going to pubs to watch the game. They started putting out fan zones across the country. People were tuning up by the numbers. So it really garnered a lot of excitement and people were thrilled about it. And not just the fact that it was going to be the women that were on the brink of doing something historic, but also the idea of Spain overall, just as a nation winning a World Cup again, it is a huge source of pride here. So it was really nice to see the exponential growth of interest and support that kind of grew along throughout the four weeks. But, you know, it's, it's turned into what it's turned into, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, is Sam Kerr's goal the, the moment of the tournament, Robin? I mean, because it came from absolutely nowhere and it was so good. It was, and it was deafening. The only thing is it did take a little deflection. And as you know, Max, yes. that kind of just just devalues it just a tiny, tiny bit because it took a little deflection. But, no, I think um, we needed a Kerr goal. Um, we, we needed that. And yeah, when that went in, oof, I mean, that is the loudest um, I've ever been in a, a women, definitely a women's football game, probably even just a football game. Um, so I'm, I'm glad she got that moment. And um, but but that was it, just a moment. And then England went on to, on to win um, that game. I think that was that was the that was just an incredible game to, to be at. Um I still feel really sick that England didn't win the final. <laughs> Honestly, I'm still better the, luck the of, next time, eh? <laughs> oh man! I mean, the I, it's kind of like the the whole Spanish things kind of take obviously taken over. But when I just think about the football, I'm like, God, oh, man, I, I'd be like you actually, um, Max. After the men's Euros, I imagine just I feel really, I still feel really sick about yeah. it. Like, we didn't. What a chance! Yeah, but we didn't really, we just didn't really turn up. Like, I just no, but why just, not? Turn up, it's a final. I just thought Spain were that just that good. They were just like that much better. Hard to like. I I find it hard to. There, obviously, there were moments, um, you know, hitting the bar in the first half and things like that, where you thought this could swing the game. Um, I thought the substitutions, the change of formation, like slightly wrong choices, not to leave a target person up there, and just Lauren Hemp, things like that, that that maybe could have made a difference. But Spain were just so so good that I. I struggle to resent the win like as they they deserved they would deserved to win it because they were just so much better it's like it hurts that England didn't and I, I hate seeing I hate doing mix zones <laughs> when uh when players are... they're all so sad <laughs> it's horrible they hate us for being there and asking questions like we have to do it it's our job it's your job set the narrative of the defeat the way you want to do it but it's just horrible speaking to players that are crying their eyes out um, but yeah, like I just struggle to like not like love Spain's win now for what it's doing as well more broadly. That's the thing, isn't it? I mean, they've they've had the best, the biggest win of their lives, but in some ways they've actually managed to get an even bigger win and a much more important win. I would have been heartbroken, and I was heartbroken that final whistle watching Jorge Vilda and celebrate. But yeah. you had this, I I had this sense that if this win doesn't mean something for women much broader than what is going on right now in front of us, then I will be gutted. But actually, everything that has happened, it was Spain's time to win. 
they've had their time to win and they've won for a reason and they've used that for a reason. Similarly, we won for a reason last summer. We had our moment. We will get our moment again. This team will come back. England will, will win a World Cup, I believe, in the next 10, 12, 16 years, whatever. But Spain's Spain's time was now and it will do so much more for football, for the sport, for Spain than than what us taking it home would have done. The big one I was jealous about that I, that I wasn't there, Salon, you were at Columbia, Germany, weren't you? Oh my God, that the Luke. best game I've ever been to yeah. in my life. It was insane. I sat right behind the Colombian dugout and when the Linda goal went in, but then the final, the in, the, the winner, when, when Germany equalised in the last 10 minutes in the 80 plus, wasn't it? I thought, oh, gutting, but... A mad result for Colombia getting a point out of this. They should be happy. And then when they won, it was, uh, oh my God, it was unbelievable scenes going on. And the bench were incredible. And then we drew Colombia and I was like, I don't want to knock out Colombia. I'm a Colombian <laughs> fan. Um, it was one of the best games I've ever been to, honestly. You didn't, uh, you almost couldn't do the final, could you? Two hours before I wasn't going to, no. Serious? <laughs> yeah. That that was That was a bad day. <laughs> Lost my voice. What happened? Yeah, lost my ah, voice after ah, the semi-final, and ah. yeah, it was. I mean, don't want to be too self-indulgent, but it was. It was a terrible, terrible few days. Really. How did you get it back? I didn't really. I just. Uh, I tried to rest it, and that wasn't working. So I just started talking, and then it kind of came back, but not not how I'd like. So I wasn't. I'm. I'm not very happy with my final either. So a bit like the lionesses, not my best work. I think <laughs> you didn't turn up, Cowan. Exactly. Got to go. Absolute disgrace. Yeah, exactly. Well, we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll finish with a compliment for you, Robin, from a, another Robin. Says I haven't heard anyone mention it. Can you please tell Robin? that her comment about Infantino walking through open doors to get to the trophy lift was absolutely <laughs> fucking brilliant. Me and my wife were distraught after the final whistle. Uh, this made us laugh so much. So uh, whether it was the croaky voice or not, uh, you made your point. Oh, that's very um, kind. Uh, can, you, can you say it again for those of us such as myself who didn't have the pleasure of listening to, to that comment? I just thought, you know, he'd made his way down to the stage through a lot of open doors <laughs> that, that he proclaims their own Iconic. Uh, yeah, so that, that was... Um, that was interesting uh, that he was there. Did you write that in beforehand? Had you written yeah. that in? Yeah, I thought, you know, if he's, I thought, is he going to be part of the presentation party? Of course he is. Of course Janny's going to be there. And how is he going to get there? I'm sure he will, well, probably not through open doors. He was probably, I don't know, lifted like a sultan or something, but, uh, you know. <laughs> um, anyway, that'll do for, for today. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Ilon. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks, Semra. Thank you very much, everyone. Um, cheers, Robin. Thanks, everyone. That was really cathartic. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Um, and Susie, go back to your pancakes. Yeah, I know, right? Then the tent getting nice and melty. The strike is over. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Football Weekly is produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Danielle Stevens. Women's Football Weekly is supported by Google Pixel. With its incredible camera and AI-powered technology, Google Pixel is bringing fans closer to the game this summer. Search Google Store to find out more. This is The Guardian. 